And so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, the significance of Jesus as our high priest. Now let's uh, go ahead and start reading here in Hebrews 2. Let's take a look at verse 9. Glory be to God. Are you ready? It says, um, verse 9, Hebrews 2, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, someone say in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. My goodness, is that loaded or what? Well, I want to go ahead and approach you with five things. Hopefully we'll get to all five of them. If not, We'll go ahead and hit as many as we can. But, but there's five things that I had on my heart for tonight that, that revolve around Jesus and his high priestly ministry. The first thing is that he became one of us. The second thing is that he knows what it's like to be tempted and offers help to those who are tempted. Well, that's good news, somebody. Number three, he is the high priest of our confession. Or you might say he is the high priest over what we say. Number four, he lives forever and he makes intercession for us. And number five, he has blessed us. So let's take a look at number one first, that Jesus became one of us. There was no other way he could qualify to be our high priest unless he did become one of us. He became a man, God Almighty, who never stopped being God, became man. It's the beauty of what the 
theology refers to as the incarnation. God becoming man. The Word. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then verse 14 of John chapter 1, he says that that word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I love the, the, the prophecy of Isaiah seven fourteen that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and that his name will be called Emmanuel. And then over in Matthew chapter 1, interpreting uh, what Emmanuel is, lets us know that Emmanuel means God with us. I am so glad that Jesus became one of us. And I'm especially glad that Jesus could become one of us without getting infected with the same infection that we have. That infection called sin. God, in his infinite wisdom, had a way for Jesus, God the Son, to come here in the flesh and to become a man, but to bypass the infection known as sin. Hallelujah. So that Jesus could be born here of a virgin, the seed of God, born here in planet earth without the stain of sin upon him when he was born. Many opportunities during his life to go ahead and bite the bait of sin, just like the first Adam had that opportunity and failed to the test. But the last Adam, who is Jesus, he had to take the same test that the first Adam took, but instead of failing that test, he passed the test. Hallelujah. Jesus became one of us. Now, um, I want to look at several things in here. First of all, um, look at verse 11. It says that both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Don't, don't you know you have an elder brother? Don't you know that in the court of heaven you've got an advantage because the judge is your daddy and the, the attorney on your case is your older brother? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, verse 12, he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. Think about that Jesus would identify with us to such a point that he would call us his brothers and sisters. What an awesome thing. Look at verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children, what children? Well, just before he quotes, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Those children. And just like those children became partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus took on flesh and blood. And oh, what a beautiful thing that is because his flesh was torn for us and his blood was shed for us. And by being flesh and blood, he knew what it was like to be where we're at. He knew what it was like to be under pressure. He knew what it was like to be tempted. So some of you get so mad at yourself for being tempted. 
you get mad at yourself before you do anything. And certainly, I mean, it's a whole nother message to get into what the scripture says about uh, dealing with temptation. We'll just touch a few highlights tonight. But, but you know, the temptation is only the knock on the door. You ain't answered the door and let anybody in yet until you let somebody in. See, you can't help who knocks on your door, but you got a whole lot of say-so into who you let into your house. And that same crazy devil that knocks on our door and tries to tempt us with things, he knocked on Jesus' door. But, but, but what Jesus did, Jesus kept the door shut and talked right through the door and said, hey, by the way, it is written. <laughs> and send him on the run, hallelujah. Jesus never opened the door to the enemy. And I'll tell you, that's, that's something that, you, you know, what we think about that and say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. Because we have a mindset of Jesus being in a position to live life in a way that we could never live it. Well, let me ask you this. Is there a whole lot in the Bible about being imitators of him? Being followers of him? I mean, the very idea of the word disciple, does that carry a certain connotation? That the disciples are supposed to follow after the master that's teaching them? And I'll tell you what, he's not only given us the call to be like him, but he's given us the goods to be like him. Because we, in the new birth, have become partakers of the divine nature. You may not always make it. You may not always do it right. But it doesn't mean that you couldn't have done it right. Because if you took that way of escape, if you took that ladder hanging out the helicopter that was there right in time to rescue your neck... Glory to God. You could have missed, you could have missed missing it. <laughs> but I'll tell you what a beautiful thing for us to realize that he became like us, not being infected with our infection known as sin, but actually became like us so we could be redeemed from that infection. Glory to God. And be able to live as he lives. Be able to live not with a stained robe, but with a pure white robe that's been washed in the blood of the lamb. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jesus became like us. Look at Hebrews 6. This is fascinating to me. Hebrews 6, uh, right at the end of the chapter, verse 19 and 20. And and we're, we're still along the line of Jesus becoming one of us. It says, this hope we have, verse 19, chapter 6. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, the amazing thing here is to think about Jesus being our forerunner. It says here that before anybody else went behind the veil, Jesus, as our forerunner, went behind the veil. You see, Jesus, his intention was to get something started. His intention, as Pastor John has defined leadership for us over and over and over again, that to lead means you go first. Well, Jesus, as a leader, went first. 
He was the first one to go behind the veil, leading the way for all of us and millions upon millions upon millions of others to follow him through to the other side of the veil into the very holy place to experience God Almighty for ourselves. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But we see that about Jesus, that he was the forerunner. He went there first. He entered in before we did. And we see that all throughout the scripture. We see Colossians 1.18 saying this, that he's the head of the body, the church, that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. That in all things he might be the preeminent one. Or shall we say for our discussion tonight, the one who went first. Hallelujah. And over in Revelation 1, also referred to Jesus as the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead. And then in Romans 8, 29, it says that whom he foreknew, those he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So Jesus as the one who blazed the trail. Oh, come on. Jesus as the one who was the forerunner who went into the veil before we did. Hallelujah. He is the firstborn of the dead and the firstborn among many brethren. And I want you to know that you and I are the brethrens and the sisterins of our elder brother. He was the firstborn of the family. But there's been family members being added all the way through the book of Acts, all the way through the rest of the first century, the second century, all the way up to the 21st century. And it's a big if, but if there is a 22nd, those people too will be members of the same family, brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead, the firstborn among many brethren. He went there first. He blazed the trail and we've been following him ever since. Glory be to God. Now let's look at point number two, that he knows what it's like to be tempted and offers help to the tempted. We touched that a little bit, but we'll go ahead and dig in here a little bit more. First of all, understanding this, what we read over there in Hebrews 2, that, uh, I, oh, I just need to read it to you again. That he was made like to his brethren in all things that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Now, uh, we're in Hebrews. So you, you're going to be in Hebrews all night, so you don't have to go far. Go to Hebrews 4, and I want to look at something here. Hebrews chapter 4. Someone say, I love my high priest. Glory to God. Hebrews 4. Yeah, we are hooked on the book tonight. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4. Let's start reading with verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That kind of says it in reverse. If you, 
If you say it the other way around, you can say we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. That's good news. And the rest of the verse says that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, now think about this with me. Think about that crazy temptation that's come your way, even in the last day, the last week, the last few weeks. The craziest thought, the craziest temptation. No matter what it is. And I want you to think this, that the very son of God himself, our redeemer, was tempted with the same stuff that we're tempted with. He was tempted in all points like we are. And you see, we've got a view. Well, he was Jesus, so... uh, so I mean, it was really not a temptation because, you know, I mean, Jesus wasn't going to go ahead and, and, and fail, was he? But, but here, here's the thing. It wouldn't have been a temptation if there wasn't the possibility that he could have given in. It's amazing. I mean, it boggles the mind to think of it. But, but the, this wonderful plan of redemption, God put something on the line to, to, to get us. You may not think you're worth it, but he thinks you're worth it. And he set up a plan where there was a lot on the line. There was a lot on the line in the Garden of Gethsemane if Jesus decided, you know what? This is just too much. Forget that cup you want me to drink. We're just going to go ahead and call some legions of angels down from heaven, wipe these guys out, and that's it. No Calvary, no cross, no nothing. Jesus could have done that. Jesus was tempted to do that. You never sweated blood before, have you? Jesus was in such a temptation. And and, and, and the idea of getting out of the work of redemption and getting out of the horrific price that he had to pay for us, it was tempting to him to the point where he was in agony, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, but ultimately made the right call when he said, Father, if it's not possible for this cup to pass from me, unless I drink it, then not my will, but your will be done. Now, it boggles our mind to think that Jesus, although he was always God, And always will be God. But that here is a man that he could actually have a will that was different from his father's. For him to say, not what I want to do, but what you want to do. Jesus became like us. And he knows what it's like to be tempted. Because he was tempted. You don't get tempted with things you don't want to do. You, 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 I mean, come on. 
See, Mike Ski here, he's never been a temptation to me. (laughs) However, let's be real. There's some people in the world who are tempted by members of the same sex. But for me, I'd rather look at my fine Italian wife any day of the week, y'all. Come on. Hey. But the point is, you don't get tempted with things you don't want. You get tempted with things you do want. And Jesus experienced the same thing in his flesh, being tempted with things that his flesh wanted. But the desire, oh yeah, the desire of his heart to do right, the desire of his heart to please his father, trumped everything else. Put everything else in the back seat. I mean, it wasn't even in the back seat. It wasn't even in the trunk. It was just out the window. <laughs> it wasn't an option. Jesus said, I've come. I love when it says in Hebrews, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written about me. I come to do your will, O God. And Jesus had such an awareness of the purpose that, that, uh, that God had for him. I love this wording when it says in the book of Hebrews, right around that same place, that a body you have prepared for me. That God prepared for Jesus a body so that he could come here and become one of us and feel what we feel and deal with what we deal with. Why? So that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. Merciful and faithful. It's amazing. When, when, when you think of those words in relation to Jesus as a high priest, it, it just blows you away. As a matter of fact, um, um, you, you know what? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Go to Hebrews 2. We're going to look at the last verse that we read earlier once again. Hebrews 2 and verse 18. Hallelujah. It says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted... He is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, let me put it to you like this. The the fact that Jesus went through temptation and passed every test puts him in a wonderful position to help us because he knows what it's like. See, see, some of the stuff we deal with, we need to renew our minds because the, the, the devil who is a liar has sold us the lie that Jesus cannot relate to you. Jesus cannot relate to, to the, the, the struggle of your life, uh, 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 sinful temptations in your life, wh- whatever the case is of, of something you're dealing with as far as temptation is concerned. But the devil is a liar. Jesus can relate. He already passed the test. That we, we may have failed that test many, many, many times. But Jesus passed the test. And he is qualified to bring aid, to bring help, to bring relief to those who are tempted. Now I want to read to you. You can write this reference down. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says that no temptation has taken us but such as is common to man. And then it goes on to say, but God is faithful. 
Why would, why would God's faithfulness happen to come up there? Because he's a merciful and a faithful high priest. Come on now. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I want you to know, and I alluded to this before, but let me say it very, very clearly. Anytime you're tempted, you don't have to go down that road. You don't have to go down the same old road and bang your head against that same old brick wall over and over again. You don't have to because God Almighty, who is faithful, and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a merciful and faithful high priest, has provided in the moment of temptation a way of escape. Whether you take it or whether you don't, it's your choice. But don't be deceived into any other thinking. There is a way out. There is a way of escape. He's made it for you. And if you take it, you'll be very glad. And if you don't take it, you will have regret. It is as simple as that. But our faithful God has made a way for us to escape temptation. Glory to God. Let's go over to Hebrews 3 now. And we're going to look at Jesus being the high priest of what we say. Someone say, what you say. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Glory to God. It says here, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He is the high priest of our confession. He is the high priest over what we say. Well, that sure wants you, that, that motivates me to be much more conscientious about what I say. Because I want to give Jesus something to work with. You know, Jesus could do wonders with your words if you spoke the right words. If you spoke his words back to him, whoa, what could he do with that? But, but mumbling and grumbling and complaining and and talking doubt and unbelief and, uh, and speaking words that, that sound like, you know, there's a big devil out there and a little God out there rather than the other way around. Yeah. See, see, he can't do much with those kind of words. Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews 4.14, we just read it. It says that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, why the connection? It says, seeing then, or because of the fact that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, what should we do? It said, we should hold fast our confession. So what we say, and us holding fast to what we say, regarding us speaking the word, speaking what God says about our circumstances, speaking what God says about the various affairs of our life. By holding fast to that, we are, we are responding in a way to our high priest where he can do the job he really wants to do. Imagine limiting God. Say, well, that's not possible. Oh, yes, it is. The book of Psalms just used that exact terminology talking about Israel, that they limited the Holy One of Israel. 
Think about this. Jesus, when he was standing, uh, looking at the city of Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you as a, as a, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? And you would not. So, so it, you, you know, some people say, well, it must not have been God's will. But no, this is God the Son talking, telling what his will is. He said, I wanted to, but you would not. And what a sad case if we ever find ourselves in the position where we are limiting God or if God say, God says to us, I really would long to do something for you. But you say, well, I just ain't going to go there. I ain't going to cooperate. What a sad case that is. So do not limit him. Do not uh, do anything that would hinder him from doing what his heart longs to do for you. Speak the word of God and let the high priest do his thing with the words that you speak and cause those wonderful words of God that come out of your mouth to come to pass in your life. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10, go ahead over there. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews 10, let's start reading with verse 19. We're we're talking about Jesus being the high priest over what we say. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. So this is in the context of Jesus being the high priest over the house of God. What should we do then? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So within the context of Jesus being high priest over the house of God, it tells us that we should draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. And it also tells us that we should hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Oh, faithful, there's that word again. And who is Jesus? He is a merciful and a faithful high priest. Well, your merciful and faithful high priest has made some promises to you. So you can hold fast to the confession of your hope or the confession of your faith without wavering because you've got confidence in the word that he spoke, not just because Those are nice words, but you've got confidence in his word because you've got confidence in the integrity and the character of the one who uttered the words. Because if he didn't have any integrity and character, nobody would pay attention to his words. As as a matter of fact, uh, there there was this guy I knew years back. He said, "I'll, I'll I'll be over to the house to pick you up 530. And you know what, me? Uh, my dad was a Marine. 5.30 meant 5.30 in my house. I don't know what it means in your house, but 5.30 means 5.30. So 5.30, I was on the front step waiting for him. And he would faithfully come about 7 o'clock. <laughs> now, 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 you know, we can, we can say a lot of things. We can say, well, he just, uh, 
you know, that's just him. His name was Bob. Well, that's just Bob. You know, Bob's just like that. Well, well here's, here's the thing. That didn't give me warm fuzzies about any promise that Bob made. I'll tell you that. No warm fuzzies whatsoever. Because over and over and over again, Bob proved to me that 530 meant anything but 530. But I tell you, when it comes to our faithful and merciful high priest, when he says something, you can take it to the bank. Ain't never a chance of any of God's checks bouncing, y'all. Hallelujah. His word is sure and certain. The psalm says, my covenant I will not break, nor will I alter the thing that's gone forth out of my lips. Can't get enough of that verse. As a matter of fact, I remember the words of our founding pastor, Pastor Sam Smith, and how many times I've heard him say this, that if there was one message that he would take and preach all over the world, if he could only take one, it would be to go around the world preaching about the integrity of God's word. That just the certainty of what God said, that you can take anything he said to the bank. Glory to God. Well, let's go ahead and, uh, yeah, let's, um, oh, no, we got to hit this. I was going to skip over it, but I don't want to. Hebrews 13, go there. Oh, Lordy, Lord, hallelujah. Hebrews 13. Now, understand this, as, as far as sacrifice for our sins, Jesus took care of that. He was the sacrifice himself, and that is once and for all. But the Bible does talk about other sacrifices that are not for sins, but sacrifices in a sense that are acts of worship to him. Let's look at Hebrews 13. Let's go to verse 15. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then the next verse, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Amazing, amazing. As a matter of fact, there's a translation of verse 15 that says this, that through Jesus we should always bring God a sacrifice of praise that is words that acknowledge him. Oh, hallelujah. Words that acknowledge him. Words that acknowledge him when it comes to what your bank account says. Words that acknowledge him when it comes to what the doctor said about your health. Words that acknowledge him when it looks like your kids are either going to kill themselves or get killed by you, one of the two. Words that acknowledge him. And I love that because you can't use the word acknowledge around me without me thinking about Proverbs 3 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Words that acknowledge him. 
Now, now a, 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 acknowledging him by so doing, according to Proverbs, that allows him to get involved and direct our paths. So words that acknowledge him are words that allow his involvement in the situation. You can speak certain words that just block God out. You can speak certain words that, that the Lord can't act upon. None of his angels can act upon. But then you can speak his word. You can speak the right word. Hallelujah. You can speak words that agree with him. And oh, I'll tell you, heaven moves. And the angels, Psalm 103 teaches us, the, the angels excel in strength and they hearken to the voice of his word. And the good news I got for you tonight is your angels aren't just waiting for God to say it. it the angels are waiting for you to say what he says. And they will act on the word as quickly when we say it as they will when God says it himself because it's his word. Whether he says it or we say it. The angels will act just as quickly as soon as they hear somebody saying what God says. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Make me want to have me a fit or a, shall we say, a, a benefit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Woo. All right. Now, number four, Jesus lives forever and makes intercession for us. Go ahead to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, verse 20. I told you we're staying in Hebrews tonight, so I'm keeping my promise to you. I'm quoting some other stuff, but I, all the stuff we're turning to, we're turning to in Hebrews. He lives forever. One of the things that qualifies Jesus to be our high priest is that he lives forever. There were priests according to the flesh. That means human priests before Jesus came around. But they died. And when they died, another one come in. And when he died, another one come in. But, but to set up the kind of priesthood that God really wanted... <laughs> Need to be somebody who didn't die. <laughs> somebody who, who's not going anywhere. Somebody living forever. Look at Hebrews 6 and verse 20. It says, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Someone say forever. forever. That's how long he's going to be around being our high priest. Come on now. Look at Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7 and verse 8, it says, Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Someone say, he lives. Yes. All right, we're going to keep on going. Hebrews 7, verse 15, And it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to what? The power of an endless life. Come on, somebody. The next verse, for he testifies, you are priests for how long? Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We ain't done yet. Go to verse 21. 
for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest for how long? Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. We just talked about that a minute ago. Verse 24, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Glory be to God. He ain't going anywhere. He lives. Look at verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. I like what I heard preachers say almost 30 years ago, that God will save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Hallelujah. Verse 25, let's read it again. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Is he always living? Yeah. And for what reason? He's always living to make intercession for us. That's what Romans says. He said, who is he who condemns? In chapter 8, verse 34, he said, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and who also makes intercession for us. I can't help but think about Peter over in Luke 22 when Jesus approached him and said, Simon, Simon, because he went by Simon Peter. So sometimes he was Peter, sometimes he was Simon. Sometimes he was Simon Peter. Sometimes he was Cephas. And most of the time he was hard-headed. <laughs> but Jesus approached him and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat. But I, this is Jesus speaking, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Imagine that Jesus would say right into this man's face, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Don't you know the reality is that, yes, there was an earthly ministry of Jesus, but there is also a heavenly ministry of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And today he prayed for you and he prayed for me. And the Bible says, we just read it, saying that he always lives to do what? To just sit there on the throne and smile at his father? Oh, he does that too? <laughs> I'm sure about that. But, but what's the reason that he's always living? Always living to do what? Always lives to make intercession for us. Is, is there times in your life where you think, I don't know how I ever made it through that? Are there times where you think, man, I thought I was sunk for sure. I, how did I get out of that one? Or, or man, I, I, I didn't see any way out. I didn't know the answer. And then suddenly I just knew what to do. Don't you know there's somebody on the right hand of the throne of God who's praying for you and his prayers get answered. 
He don't have any prayer failures. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he's praying for us right now. And why is he living forever? He's living forever because he gets to do that for us forever. To serve forever as our high priest. Glory be to God. Woo-wee. And number five, as we're getting ready to wrap this baby up, our high priest has blessed. He's blessed us. Now, I want you to write this reference down. This is fascinating. Leviticus 9, 22 and 23. And Aaron, who was Moses' brother, who was the high priest, the, the very first high priest, well, the ver- first high priest of the, that particular order, which was separate from the order of Melchizedek, which Hebrews talks a whole lot about. But he, uh, Aaron was the first high priest of what we call the Levitical priesthood. Levitical sounds like Leviticus, third book of the Bible, which has to do with people who are descendants of Levi, who's a son of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a little quick Bible trivia for you. But Aaron, after he had sprinkled the blood and after he had performed all of the the duties of the high priest, this is what happened in verse 22. It says that he lifted his hand toward the people and he blessed them. And then it also says in the next verse that Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting. This is after all the sacrifices were done and after all the duties of the priests were accomplished. That, 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 that he came forth and it says Moses and Aaron, they came out and blessed the people. So you've got this vision of Aaron lifting his hand toward the people and blessing them. All right now. Now, I do need to keep my promise here. I told you we ain't going anywhere but Hebrew, so you got to write these other ones down. Otherwise, I'm breaking my promise. And, uh, you know, I want you all to think I got some integrity here. So, So Luke 24, verse 50, and the setting of that, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. But I want you to think about what just happened. Jesus just shed his blood. And then after shedding his blood, and, and, and you know the scripture teaches this, that, that one, of the, uh, one of the Marys, because there, there are several Marys there in the New Testament, was about to touch him. Remember in one of the Gospels after he rose from the dead and said, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But then a little later on in the chapter, he comes back and says, Go ahead and touch me, feel me. Uh, uh, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Well, what happened? What was this ascension to the Father? The, the, the ascension to the Father was not what happened when he was on the top of the Mount of Olives and went up to, to be seated on the right hand of the Father. There was another ascension to the Father in which Jesus went into the heavenly holy of holies. The book of Hebrews teaches this, that he went into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood and he obtained eternal redemption for us. And after doing that, you know what he did? He did the same thing as Aaron did. If you read Luke 24, 50, as they're there on that mountain where he's about to go up and be seated on the right hand of the Father, it says it exactly. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. 
So part of the ministry of the high priest, once he was done with his priestly duty, once the blood was shed and everything was in order and done according to the prescription that God had prescribed, then he went, lifted his hands toward the people and blessed the people. And Jesus, once he was finished, did the very same thing. And Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You are blessed by your high priest. He has blessed you. And let me tell you this, if God's blessed you, you can't curse what God's blessed. Hallelujah. Yeah. You can't curse what God's blessed. That means you ain't under any curse anymore. Because you're blessed. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus was made a curse for us. So if there's no more curse, what do we have now? Well, that verse, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, it goes on to say that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus became a curse for us to get the curse off of us so that the blessing can get on us. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know about you, but I have preached myself happy. Woo! And I emptied that one, so I'll do this one. Thank you, my friend. Glory to God. Yeah. (laughs) Someone say hallelujah. So I know we hit a lot of ground tonight. We didn't hit it all. No way did we hit it all. But let's call that an overview of Jesus, the high priest, and what his being high priest means to all of us.